Our message today is continuing in our Philippians series. And if you have your Bible, iPad, iPhone, whatever you have your scripture on, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 16. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 16. I love reading autobiographies. Autobiographies are fascinating to me because I like to find out what people think and do and what made them great, especially the people that are successful in life, in, in my view. And I, that's a weird view, whole nother message. But to find out what do they think and do and feel and see and how do they respond to adversity when, when all these things are a part of an autobiography, I love to put that in my own thought and read through those and research out what it is about them. And then I go to scripture and I put it with scripture and find out what are the things that they're doing that apply to scripture because not everything they do is applying to scripture unless they're a believer and they're pointing that out. Well, in a way, this, this scripture here is an abrupt change in tone of the Philippians book, the letter to the church of Philippi. These folks are, we've studied, part Roman, part Macedonian, or not part, they're fully Macedonian, fully Roman. And as we talk about that, both of those apply in every situation. So, and probably Paul's favorite church, many theologians believe, and as, so as we're talking about that, both of those apply because of all the backgrounds of the synagogues teaching and the religious factor that comes with the teachings of Jesus. So um, we believe, I believe, that this part of scripture, very familiar to us, but it's an abrupt change in the tone of what's happening in the first two books in part of the third. It is revealing, I believe, what Paul sees as the journey of life. It's the journey, not a destination, a journey, maybe even a course correction for some of those in the Roman and the Macedonian empire. So if you have your scripture with you, let's stand and read in honor of God's word. Verse 12, not that I've already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what's ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have obtained. Father, as we study your word, 
as we see scripture, we pray it jumps off these pages into our heart, into our life, into what we do and feel and see and think. As we mature as believers in Jesus Christ, I pray that these truths become real. Give me clarity today to share a very simple message from you. For it's your name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Number one, we are created to grow. Some theologians believe that Paul is writing in a Greek mystery cult theology language. Not that he believes it, but he's trying to point out a difference of what's happening in that Macedonian area. Many of those believers had a trend in their teaching that baptism was the point of perfection. And once they were baptized, it was like an initiation into that state of perfection where nothing was to be added. So he's pointing out and trying to bring forth a little bit of truth of the Christian life being a journey and not a destination because the destination would be that I chose something, I was baptized and now I'm done. The growth and maturity is the journey of the Christian life. Never become satisfied with your walk with Christ. Many believers in Christ compare themselves to others. I find myself in that same problem and to that I would say, danger, danger, Will Robbins. Danger. Because we're not comparing ourselves to each other. We're comparing ourselves to Christ. And if we're caught in the race of trying to compare to each other, then we're gonna fall woefully short and create misery in our own lives. Paul was probably one of the most experienced people in scripture. I mean, not many people have the Damascus Road experience. Not many people had all the experiences of travel and missionaries and starting churches and all the things that Paul did. But Paul says in here that I am not perfect. I have not gotten there. I want to be there. I'm taking hold of it. I'm racing toward it, but I'm not there. And that comparison right there brings shadow on so many theology um, ideas, the theological concept of those that get caught in the destination versus a journey. That it's not just a point that we reach. It's something that we strive for our entire life. Paul compares himself to only himself and to Christ Jesus. That meant he had some maturing to do. And he points that out in verses 12 through 14, that he's trying and striving to attain even still the maturity that he's laying out in front of people. That he's aggressively pursuing, not just trying, aggressively pursuing as an athlete going to a race or a warrior going to war, we are to chase after God because he is infinitely more valuable 
than anything we can see. In fact, I've said it up here before, if we can see what God sees, we would choose it every time. If we could see what God sees, we'd choose that every time, but we can't. We trust, and that's where our faith comes in, and we apply our faith to what God has led us to do. Paul's aiming for perfection, but to be perfect in his relationship with Jesus, he's trying to, he's striving, he's attaining, but it's this sin that so easily entangles him. Perfect does not mean sinless. The perfection that he's trying to chase does not mean that he's sinless. It does mean that he is maturing because it's not a destination. It's a journey. Paul's making every effort to grow in maturity and know the full value of his relationship with Jesus. Whenever he fails, Jesus is there with grace to help pick him up because of these efforts that he made. When I was in seminary, I, had a, um, I was in a, a class that had a 90-year-old man come and share class with us. 90 years old, and he was the guest speaker that day. When he got up there, he told us he walked a mile a day. He's 90. Okay, he got my attention. He, he's walking a mile a day. And he also said at the end of class, he's going to share the secret to a long and healthy life. He had me. I started writing down every little nugget of information all the way through things that he said. And, and part of it, I couldn't even hear because his voice was very weak. At the end of class, he said, okay, I, I'm, gonna share you, I'm gonna share the secret of long life. We all like got on the edge of our seat, a pen ready, you know. He said, drink eight glasses of water a day. I was like, what? <laughs> that, that's it? I didn't say that loud. I thought it. It was the beginning of my sarcasm. But so I thought, you know what? He knows more than I do. He's 90. He walks a mile a day. So I started trying to drink eight glasses of water a day. And Julie may remember this. We were, um, we were in seminary. We lived in Cleburne, Texas. And so I, would, I ran because we were keeping up with points. And I started drinking eight glasses of water a day. It lasted three days. I can't drink that much water. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe some of y'all do. I don't know. But that's a lot of water. The point is... I tried to do it. I did not aggressively pursue what I heard and what I know. What I heard from a man that lived it, I did not pursue that aggressively like a warrior going to war. I tried it and it lasted three days. That's more like a hundred yard sprint instead of a marathon. And that's a warning for us today. 
in thought of, I thought that's, that's a great illustration of trying to understand what we're talking about. What is Paul presenting to us right here? Not to try, but to aggressively pursue it. Number two, leave the past behind. In verse 13, it says, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, that he pursues something. This one thing I do. Do not let the past drag us down. How much of the past drags us down? It's the weight that we pull along behind us. It's the weight of pain sin and mistakes, the things that so easily entangles us. We're to confess those and leave them with Jesus. Jesus died on a cross. It's not a fairy tale. He died for you for that very reason that we don't have to carry it with us. And yet we do. We're not supposed to be carrying sin and mistakes. We're supposed to be learning from them. I'm gonna make a statement and I want you to ponder for a second. I, if I'm right with God, then I'm right with everyone around me. If I'm right with God, then I am right with everyone around me. We need to recognize the things that we do wrong to people and apologize, ask forgiveness, and move forward. If people wrong us, we're not to carry that with us, we're to move forward. We're to forgive and move forward. That if I'm right with God, and the reason I'm saying this is because I've heard this before, where me and God, everything's good with me and God, but man, I cannot get along with anybody. Like, wait, what? The maturity of faith in believers is that we get along with each other, that we think the same. It started in Philippians 1, then it went to Philippians 2, that we're like-minded with one spirit and one purpose. And then in, in chapter 3, the very same thing begins to happen. It's the unity in spirit and purpose that we're talking about. If I'm right with God, I'm right with everyone around me. We recognize and ask forgiveness from people and move on. Do you live far from God or is God beside you? Is God in you? Is God working through you? Do you recognize what God is doing? Do you hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you? He needs to be tightly wound in our lives not allowing the prison and the bondage of our sin that tangles us up, that drags us down. Allow God to speak and enjoy the freedom that comes in Christ Jesus. Paul does a magnificent job at trying to, to get us to understand that. Our mistakes should inform us, not define us. We should be avoiding those mistakes. If we, say, if we keep doing the same mistake over and over and over again, that's a whole other problem. But the sin that entangles us typically doesn't do that. It chases down the rat hole and we start believing our own. 
we start going into selfishness and self-absorbed and um, self-righteous. We boast in the wrong things. We start leaning on the wrong thing. Our crutch becomes the wrong thing. And we start chasing the wrong feelings. And we start believing feelings instead of truth. We can't live our lives from the past, forgetting what's behind. Now, both of these statements are true. Mistakes and sin drag us down. But we can't float on the victories and successes that we gloat in. Because if we drag down with the mistakes and the sin, it creates guilt. And if we float on the victories and successes we have, then pride becomes a problem. We're always moving and we're always chasing something, trying to fill a vacuum. The goals that I've reached are in Christ, Paul says, that I'm moving forward, that I'm pressing toward the goal. He's aggressively moving forward. Forgetting what's in the past doesn't mean wiping out your memory. Number one, it's impossible. Number two, your past is part of the discipleship process. Number three, that we don't live out our past, we learn from it. We, or we shouldn't live out our past. We should learn from it. I put together, a Scott and I put together this week a, a graph that um, for you visual learners, because I know there are many in our congregation, this is forgetting the past. This is my bad, your bad, it's bad. My bad, your bad, and it's bad. That's the circle we're in. My bad meaning something you did wrong, you feel guilty when you should respond with repentance. Your bad meaning something someone has done to you and you feel resentment when your healthy response should be forgiveness. It's bad, meaning something bad's happened to you. Either you chose it or you didn't choose it. Either you have consequences of choices that you had made, but you're living in a world of if I had not done this or if I had done that, if I had moved, if I had done something different. Instead, you feel bitterness when your healthy response should be hope. Not that God will fix everything, but that you will begin to understand and see what God is doing in your life, that he is far greater than anything you can see. It outshines whatever you could have had. If I could see what God sees, I would choose that every time. That you choose repentance and forgiveness and hope. that we would choose it every time. In part two of that same thought, when others find victory over sin or things in their life that are crippling, if, if somebody finds success, you should enjoy the victory with them. We all should feel, because of our community and because what we're trying to build in relationships, we, we, we should feel that. And be excited about what God's doing in their life, just like what God's doing in our life. Not build resentment because they, we lose the hope 
if, if we become bitter and we are supposed to enjoy what their, what somebody else's life is gaining from their relationship with Christ, that the hope becomes lost. And if you're losing the hope, then you have nowhere to go. That's the problem with most things in this world is we're losing the hope that we're not putting hope out in front of people. It's our job as believers in Jesus Christ to not just show the hope, but to talk about the hope to folks. That's the power of Christ. Number three, be consistent. We must say yes to Christ in every area of our life. That's the way we become new creatures. The maturing of faith in our journey, spending time not conforming to this world, but the renewing of my mind. How much time do we spend conforming to this world and how much time do we spend renewing our mind, studying what God wants us to know? It gets confusing when we aggressively pursue something other than this. That's where the selfishness and self-absorbing, self-gratification, all the things come into our life that gets messed up. We're pointed in the wrong way. Our true north is not all messed up. Our devotion to Christ should show this one thing I do. What a powerful statement. This one thing is a phrase that Paul brings up in many places. One thing that you lack, the rich young ruler heard from Jesus in Mark 10 in the book of Mark chapter 10. One thing is needful, Jesus said to Martha as she criticized her sister Mary. One thing I know, exclaimed the man who had received his sight by the power of Christ Jesus. Even in Psalms 27, David used the same phrase. One thing I've desired, O Lord, is to seek after you. Too many believers are tangled up in so many things, so busy. The rat race begins to chase you and you're running from it. That's not the race we're talking about. The race we're talking about is the pursuing of God. The believer must devote himself to the race. This one thing I do, determination, Devotion, direction, discipline. Those are words that don't just all start with D. They're also a part of your journey of aggressively pursuing who God wants you to be. It came to mind during the, that last song that Leah was singing about make me whatever you want me to be. How, how often do we say that? Use me however you want to use me, O Lord. How many times do we say that? Do we say it in passing or do we really believe it? And then unity, I mentioned, plays a huge role in what God is doing in and around us. In Philippians 2, we talked about the unity in spirit and purpose. In Philippians 3, we're talking about the like-mindedness part of what started in chapter 2 
and now is in chapter three, that we think the same way. What an incredible, powerful meaning that we should think the same way. If we're maturing in Christ, we think the same way. We're about the same things. We're doing the same things. We're feeling the same things. The community that we build in relationships is about maturing in Christ, that it's consistent with the scriptures. In Ephesians chapter four, Paul talks about this very thing again, and he brings in something extra. He says to imitate God, to imitate God. How much time do you spend trying to imitate somebody? Like that's part of why I like these autobiographies because I'm, I'm trying to learn what they did. I, I don't, if they made a mistake, I don't wanna make the same mistake. I wanna learn what they did and I'll apply it to my life so that I've learned from that. Also, I'm trying to learn the things that they did good, that they did well, apply them to scripture and I'm gonna imitate those. You know, when I was a kid, all these um, people love to imitate famous, famous folks, Rich Little, there was a bunch of them that talked like them, acted like them, uh, all these skits, Saturday Night Live, all these different places that um, characters come up trying to make fun of because they're imitating. But do you know how, how hard that is? Do you know how difficult that is to imitate someone? Try it sometime. Try to imitate someone. Try to talk like them. Try to act like them. Same mannerisms. Walk like them. Do everything that they do. It's incredibly difficult to do. But that's what we're supposed to be doing with Jesus. How much time do we study and talk and feel and think just like Jesus did? How can we imitate him if we don't? Maturity brings consistency, a priority unlike any other. Justin said a couple of weeks ago um, up here on this stage, he said, if we spend more time and energy knowing more about our favorite sports teams or music or books or celebrities than we do about Jesus, then we have a problem. There's a problem. We need to shift and make Jesus more I'm not talking about the entertainment time. I'm talking about the time that we focus on the essentials of life, air and water and Jesus. The person who made us, the God of the heavens. I used to say all the time, um, (laughs) part of my sarcasm, I used to say, I'm gonna stop learning this scripture. Because if I'm held accountable for what I know, then I don't want to know anything. <laughs> it it kind of made sense. Um, it's not true because it brings misery is what bring, it, it brings misery. And that's not what we want to do. We want to bring the consistency of life. Life's a journey that we should see it that way that it's not the destination that we're trying to get to. It's a journey. Forgetting what's behind, pressing forward, straining ahead, running forward, 
forgetting the past, being consistent in what we're trying to do with Christ. In closing, I want to mention several things here of a response time that's very simple. Have you experienced the infinite value that God has for you? More so than any relationship you have ever been a part of, he loves you and values you more. Are we aggressively pursuing God or are we casually trying to drink three days of eight glasses of water a day? Are we aggressively pursuing? Stop the half-hearted commitment and create something that's totally different, life-changing in spirit and in purpose? Are you stuck in the past successes? Are you reveling on something that happened 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago? Are you still living on that success or are you moving forward? Because we're not to look to our past. We're supposed to leave it behind, whether it's good or bad. We leave it behind. We're pressing forward to what God has for us. Are we willing to live out our relationship in full view of others? Are we ready for that? The maturing of our faith says we are. If we don't mature in our faith, we want to hide it because it's, we see it as the destination. We don't see it as the journey. It's the power of God around us and through us. As our band comes back up here, I want to challenge you to take very simple words and simple truth to say to God that you are available, that you are a part of the future of what God wants to do. Make me what you want me to be. Make, you, make me who you want me to be. Tell me what you want to do. Availability is all he's looking for. He's not looking for you to be like somebody else because he didn't make you that way. So many people get caught in the comparison problem I mentioned earlier for a hundred reasons. One of them is he doesn't want many lens. He doesn't want like 10 lens. Man, how terrible would that be? <laughs> Just one. And he wants you. He doesn't want you to be like somebody else. He wants you to be you. He wants you to talk that way. He wants you to be that way. He wants you to have the same personality. He wants you to be who you are because that's, that's the way he made you. And if you're going to imitate somebody, you don't imitate somebody else. You imitate God. And are you going to God to find out those things that you need to be doing? That's my challenge to you. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for your message to as simple as it is and how hard it is to do. I pray that truths will jump into who we are today, that we commit deeply to make your word known. For it's in your name that I pray. 